All right, guys, welcome to the Red Print Podcast held by the Polk County Young Republicans. I'm here with Joe from Texas. We're going to have a phenomenal talk about uh, finances, the the state of the country, and honestly, what Joe from Texas really is. So uh, thanks for joining. You bet, Hunter. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man, for coming on. So honestly, Joe, I had a good little conversation with you guys at the uh, Young Republicans National Convention. And it was really interesting to hear what you guys had to say on the finances of the country, the spending, the debt, uh, the decisions of fellow Republicans and Democrats um, on the decisions to continue raising the debt ceiling. And I really just wanted to know, like, what does what is Joe from Texas? What exactly is that? What is your guys movement or goal? Well, Joe from Texas is just me trying to alert people and talk to people across the nation about the debt problem primarily. You know, we went out and, and got a lot of people on our team. You know, we have uh, uh, Dave Walker, who is a former Comptroller General of the United States. We've got some really intelligent people working with us and partnering with us. We've got some exciting things coming up, but we have uncovered a, a treasure trove of information about our debt and some things that I think are the, I just think the American people are not aware of. And I think a lot of the people, when I talk to young people, like in Dallas, you mentioned a lot of people don't think that debt is real to them, that that's a really a problem to them and that the government's going to take care of that debt. We don't have to worry about it. Continue to kick the can down the road. That's a hundred percent wrong. And I'm trying to get enough people together on my team and talk to enough people across this nation to alert them that that to me is our number one problem facing the country today. Beautiful. So what exactly is the main goal for the general population to learn from you guys? I mean, obviously it's a, the debt is a massive issue. We, we all know it, but what's like the, the main thing that you want people to take away from any of your lectures or even just looking into the debt and the spending themselves? Well, I want to educate them and let make them aware that the, the, great problems that we have today is, is stemming now from our debt. We have a lot of good programs that this country has, Social Security being one, Medicare, Medicaid, and our debt is looming out there bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon it's going to overtake the programs that this country has right now that millions of people depend on and millions of people paid in on their Social Security. Right now we got about 67 million people drawing Social Security. Our debt, the way it's going right now, we're going to have, we're subsidizing social security today. We, you know, social security is a, is kind of a, a you, you pay for it as you go. So social security, we take in uh, so many billion dollars and we send out so many billion dollars plus we're taking money out of the surplus today. And in about eight or nine years, that surplus is going to run out and we're going to have to come up with that shortfall or 67 million people are going to take a 20 to 25% cut. That's devastating to them. That'll double the poverty rate overnight for elderly people. So the debt is real, real, real big to them. The debt should be big to you at your age, because think about the debt. If the debt wasn't real, this next year, Hunter, we're going to pay $1 trillion, $1 trillion in interest. Now, if we didn't have to pay that $1 trillion in interest, they wouldn't have to tax you as much as they're taxing you. We need that $1 trillion in taxes to pay to foreign countries and other people that are holding our debt. If we didn't have a debt, that's 20 or 25% of what we take in. We're going to take in about 5 trillion next year. 1 trillion is going to debt. 
that's a real problem for every American, no matter what the age. Absolutely. I, I really think people don't understand what a trillion dollars is. I don't think people truly understand what, how, how large of an amount that is. And you know, people my age, we, we just, trillion came out in my generation. We didn't even have a number for it until what, five, six years ago, right? There wasn't even a, a trillion number. They, they, no one ever reached that mark. And now we're, what, our US debt is at 32 trillion or something or close to that or more. So honestly, spe honestly speaking, how do you get people my age to understand how large the debt or for anybody's age, how large the debt actually is because we can keep saying it's doomsday it's 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 this big or whatnot but how do you scope that for people well you know it took us 205 years to get to one trillion in debt as a nation and when george bush uh when when he when he got into office the George W. Bush, when he got in office, Clinton had just got through and we had $4 trillion in debt when, when Clinton took over. We, we moved up $1 because he balanced the budget four times with Newt Gingrich when they made a contract with America. They've done a fabulous job. So that shows you we can get a, get a handle on our debt. But in, when you take Bush's eight years, Obama's eight years, Trump's four years, and when Biden finishes his four years, we're going to be at 36 trillion. That's nine times the four trillion that we were. Now, when you go 220 plus years down the road and you have four presidents come in, two for eight years and two for four, and we nine times our debt, I'd say we have a spending problem, wouldn't you? I would agree. I would have to agree. Yeah. And then when you talk about how much is a trillion, okay, in this last package that, uh, that Biden pushed through, where he's hiring 87,000 IRS agents to go and, yeah, to go out and collect money from Americans who's already paid their taxes. Okay. And maybe their CPA or their accountant, or maybe them might've made a mistake. So we're going to go back to them. And in his projections, he's showing the income that's going to come off of what his new bill. Well, income is 120 billion that he's going to go get from the taxpayers. Well, if you look at the 6 trillion, that the 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 government can't account for the gao can't account for and our military or our, our uh, pentagon can't account for that's six trillion you take our 120 billion he's going after that's 50 times the 120 billion to give you how much a trillion is and he's going to go to americans and collect that where you know we wouldn't have six tr six trillion dollars that we can't account for if we didn't already collect that from you and me and all the other taxpayers they collected that money. They squandered it. They can't even account for that much money today. That is incompetence at the highest level. They're handling your money. There's no two ways about it. They're just wasting your money. They can't even account. They can't come to you and account for it. But if they happen to go to you and say, Hunter, you missed your taxes by $900 four years ago, we're going to penalize you, get penalty and interest. So you get penalized. If you make an honest mistake, they get rewarded for squandering our money. I don't think that's an even playing field. I, you know, it's probably just robbery at the greatest extent. Uh, and then it's right in the open. It's not even hidden anymore. Like you said, the, the spending that they're doing right in front of our eyes and then coming to us and making us victims, because like you said, oh, I may have mis misplaced a decimal or I may have paid an extra, extra thousand dollars here into something that I forgot about. 
they're coming after us and making American citizens the, the, the criminals. And we become the victims of our own demise because all we do is just keep, keep on voting these people in. But we keep on trying to use, as we say, culture. Or po policy is downstream from culture. We keep using our culture to affect how we spend. So from what I see in my generation is I want free education. I want universal health care. I want you to pay for reparations. I want you to pay for, you just name it, my transitions, my surgeries. I want you, the government, I want the people to pay for everything. And what I, what I try to find, I, I guess, the transition point with people is where do you start, specifically for you guys, where do you start taking the financial route versus the culture war route? Because the culture war right now is extremely important. We're having people that are arguing over what a man is, what a woman is. We're having a, a culture war on, on our border. We're having internal conflicts within our inner cities. And you want people to look at money. So how do you get people to really switch from, hey, this is a, we know it's a spending problem. We know it's in front of us, but they're coming after our kids. We know there's a spending problem, but they're coming after women's spaces. You know, how do you get people to start looking at the finances and say, hey, this is what affects this? Or what's the equation? You know, how do people see that? Well, number one, when you look at money or you look at your income, if you don't have income to pay your house note or your rent, and you don't have it to buy groceries, and you don't have it to buy clothes, depend, try and figure out what your neighbor is, whether it's a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, that's not really the number one thing to you. Can you eat? Can you feed your kids? Can, do you have a house to put them in? Do you have a car to get them back and forth to school to where you can make a choice? You know, you, when you look at the America, after, after World War II, we were declared a superpower, the superpower of the world, and we're still that, okay? But one of the, one of the two things, two top things to be a superpower is number one, you have to have the economic capability to be a superpower. Number two, you have to have the military strength. If you don't have the money, you can't have the military strength. If we lose our superpower status in the world, then we've lost what you've lost what, what this country is all about, what we've been for almost 250 years. You don't want to lose that. Your choice, when you're talking about culture, that's more of a politics, that's more of your choice. But if you don't have money, you got no choice anyway. You know, I mean, you, you named off a whole lot of things that you want to be paid for you. If we don't pay the taxes, the government can't pay anything for you. They've got, they're collecting the money and still not doing a good job. They're going in the hole every year, every month. So they're just digging that hole deeper. And they want to tell you that it's not going to matter, that we can print money and borrow money and that, and we can get, get past it. But we're borrowing money right now, Hunter, from some of the worst enemies in the world. We're borrowing money from China. We're showing China and the rest of the world, we're incompetent. We can't pay our bills. We can't balance our checkbook. That doesn't bode well for a superpower. We don't want to lose the, the superpower status for our currency. Look at our currency. It's the most traded, sought-after currency in the world. If you don't have money, that goes away. And then when it does, then we lose our ability to sanction countries, our ability, our ability for trade. You know, with that, when you lose that, that status in the, in the world, then this country is going to take a giant step back that'll take 50 or 100 years to correct. So, we don't have that much time, neither do you. So going into that, actually, BRICS, 
Right. BRICS is this new, this new, I guess you could say, unification of of China, India, Brazil, all these new countries that are trying to devalue or take the throne of the dollar. What kind of threat is that truly to the United States as a superpower? Or what kind of threat is that to the world economy if BRICS takes over the American dollar? Okay, I don't see BRICS ever taking over completely. Mm -hmm. I don't see us losing our status it, you know, far as the currency. Okay, the number one currency. We're going to lose some market share but we're never going to lose our dominance as being the currency of choice. You know, China's got its own problems right now, financially and otherwise. So, you know, they, they've, they've talked a big game, but right now, if you look at their housing and their economy right now, they're suffering too. So it's not really a good time to partner up with people and take our number one position away. I think that's going to be shoved back to the back burner. Why, why wouldn't, they take that spot if if we're spending so much and we're if we're spending so much we're being wasteful of our dollar we're devaluing the dollar like we are and they unify with other countries how are they not capable of taking over because i know a lot of people would say well joe then why are we making a big fuss out of this if it's not that big a deal why are we not making a big fuss about our debt or why are we make well, you're no, making a big fuss about brick yeah, like why if everyone's making a big fuss about BRICS and you're saying it, it, it they're not going to overtake us. I, and I think that's the main threat everybody feels is they feel that BRICS is going to overtake us. And if we're spending all this money, we're devaluing our dollar, how is BRICS not the threat? How is BRICS not the thing that's going to take us over? Because if we keep on spiraling down this hole of spending money devaluing the currency, they're going to take over pretty soon, don't you think? Well, I, I didn't say it's not a threat. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let me clarify that if I did, I did not, I did not intend to say that it, we have a lot of threats out there. Okay. The world, most of the world respects America as being the superpower and they would rather have the U S dollar to deal with. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. other people are not going to come out with lookalikes or try to change the world's posture. I don't, I like I said, I think we will lose some market share, but mm -hmm. I think we'll always maintain the position as being the number one currency. We're, I think we're about 60 or 70% now that may drop a, some somewhat, but I think we'll still stay the, the number one currency in the world. That doesn't mean other people are not going to get a hold. It's just mm -hmm. like other people are manufacturing things and sending them in here to this country. We don't manufacture everything anymore, but that doesn't mean we're still not the number one economy in the world because we are. I think we've lost the feed. That's understandable. Hold on one second. I might be getting a little bit of an unstable connection. Give me one second. Yeah. Oh, I'll be able to edit this out. So I'm not too worried about this. Okay. Okay. Cool. So. So just like manufacturing, you're saying that they will lose some market share, but I think coming from where, where the youth are, they're worried about the dollar devaluing to a point where just because we're losing market share, but we're, our inflation's already up, what, seven, eight percent in three years. So our dollars already lost. Americans have already lost, what, $10,000 in their household in what, three years of Joe Biden. 
whereas Trump, it was up, it was up $5,000. So down 10,000, and then we have bricks coming in that may take more market share into value of the dollar more. So I, I guess my question is, where do millennials, where do Gen Z, Gen Y, where do we start in our financial stewardship and holding our, our officials accountable, holding ourselves accountable, our own homes, our own local government? Where's the best place to start? Well, it, we're, we're looking at this, this 24 election coming up. We have to seek candidates that, and, and go to the town halls or whatever they're doing and, and, and put them on the point. What are they going to do about your finances? Because, you know, most of our conversation today is about finances. It's about the bricks. It's about the debt. It's about the trade. So, okay, we've got to have somebody that that's number one on their agenda somebody that can pick up the ball and go with it and straighten out this economy. Well, the way to straighten out the economy is not to continue to farm out all your work. It's not to continue to send your drilling overseas, which is your national security. You know, we're making some, we're making some choices today that nobody my age ever believed they'd see the United States farm out our work. We, you know, what we are today is a service industry country. We just service things. We don't make nothing. You know, used to when I was a little boy and back in Frisco, Texas, the cash crop in Texas was cotton and corn and maize. The cash crop for the nation today is people my age, elderly people, 22 million people out of the 157 million people in this country working today are working in the medical industry. That's what we do. We take care of them. Mm -hmm. We have policemen. We have firemen. We unload things off a ship and put it on a a truck and carry it to the store. And we service that we we're just as we serve people in the restaurant. We serve people around the country. That's what we do. Our jobs that we have that stuff that's sitting on all the different stores, their shelves is coming from Taiwan. Mm -hmm. It's coming from Vietnam. It's coming from China. It's coming from Japan. So our real jobs are over there. We're just a service company. They buy their gloves. They buy their clothes. They buy their food. They're staying in a house or apartment and they're building things. And the raw product is in their country. And what we're doing is we're buying something already complete. And when you do, you lose the good paying jobs. That Our little payroll here, when we hand it out every week, it turns over seven times in the local economy. The lady, pay, she pays her, her house note. That lady goes and pays her water bill. Or, or The other person pays their car note. This one buys school clothes. One goes to the restaurant. It turns over seven times. But if all you have is the service jobs, well, then we're missing the big profit in this country. And that's where we've got to get back. We used to be the manufacturing country of the world, and we farmed that out for one reason or another. We need to get that back to get this economy straight. If any politician tells you he or she wants to create 15 or 20 million more jobs, ask them who would fill those jobs. Right now we have 10 million jobs that help, help wanted signs on them today. In this country, we got about 5 million people that say they want to go to work. Okay, maybe they do and maybe they don't, or maybe they're just hunting a better job. So if we do like one of the gentlemen that's running for president on the Republican side, says, I'm going to create, they ask him out the Congress, I'm going to create 15 or 20 million more jobs. Well, you got nobody to put in them. So what will you do? You'll That'll, that'll run the price of labor right through the roof. People will be jumping from one job to the other job. And we'll still have 20 million jobs that we can't, we can't handle them. But yet those jobs are overseas. Last year, we bought a little over $4 trillion for them. If we'd have just made one more trillion of that here, we could have balanced the budget. 
How foolish is that? And we're capable of doing it. We're capable of doing it. You can, you saw, um, I always like to go back to World War II because it, it shows you what America was capable of and our might. Um, you know, the, the, there was a Japanese general that they, he was worried that he w- awoke a sleeping giant because America was an industrial powerhouse that no one had really even recognized. We built all our own tanks. We built our own planes. Every, everything turned into this massive war effort, but we were capable of doing it. If we had to turn around and do the exact same thing and make a war effort like we did in World War II, I don't think we could do it because we don't have the manufacturing and capabilities to do it because nothing's here. Everything's overseas. So personally, I look at manufacturing and bringing these jobs back home, the creation jobs, the real making jobs, not the service jobs you speak of, as national security as well. If you look what happened in COVID-19, whether we agree with it or not, Ford, GM, all these other companies were making ventilators for, for the for the the, uh, the the pandemic. They are capable of switching that quick because they're a manufacturing company. They can help in different facets because they create. But these service jobs don't create. They just transfer money. They just they just service. They don't make anything last longer or, or they don't make anything turn over. The money multiplier isn't really there. So I find manufacturing to be also a national security threat because like you said, the, the, the people aren't even working for the jobs that are still open here because the jobs that are here aren't what people want to do. They don't want to just work in a restaurant. They don't want to just go work and wash somebody's car all the time. What they want is to make something. And I feel like that gives people fulfillment. That trillion dollars, though, that I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, how effective would that trillion dollars be to balance our budget if we just know that they would just take that trillion dollars and spend it? Well, they're absolutely going to spend it. I mean, that we, we, our society, we spend our money, and we have to because that's how we, sit, we, we survive. So if you had another trillion dollars worth of work in this country, obviously you're going to have to have some more people doing it. Okay, you know, we did that. It, when you talk about World War II, okay, when World War II broke out, when, when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor and the next day we declared war, 1941, I think, December the 7th. Okay, very shortly after, we, we developed a program with Mexico, the Braceros Act, which means working with your hands. We brought young Mexican men here, Spanish people here, to work. They didn't bring their families and they couldn't bring their wives, but they came here to work in the factories and in the fields because our people were left to go to war. Okay, that program went from, let's say, 42 to 64, and it worked real well. Okay, you could do that today if you had a border, but, you know, we, we, the administration doesn't want us to have a border. But that you have to be able to control the flow of people into this country so you can have the quality of people that you want the amount of people you want, when you want those people. And you put them in work programs that we could do. You know, President Trump, give him credit, he tried to get some of the money back that, that because of what we're buying from China. He put these tariffs on them. But I'm a manufacturer, and I'm here to tell you that had a reverse effect on manufacturers and this economy. Let me explain. We buy a bolt that, that we use to fasten our product together. It's four foot long, it's one inch in diameter. 
The last day Obama was in office, that boat was $3.85. The last day Trump was in office, it was $9.80. Now, why did it jump up two and a half times? Because he put these tariffs on China. I think they, we collected about $68 billion. I think he passed that on to the farmers for whatever reason. But we don't have the manufacturing capabilities, so China just raised the price on everything they were saying. We were sitting ducks. When he did that, China was happy to write that check. That didn't inflict any pain at all to China, but it inflicted pain on our economy here because what we've done, we picked a fight with our manufacturer before we had the capability of offsetting Absolutely. it. That was not a good business. That was not a good business decision for our economy. So our inflation and our problems started in that presidency, not just the one we're in today. Make no mistake about that. When I, when I cited, uh, two Democrats and two Republican presidents to go nine times what it was at four at four trillion. I laid the blame on both both sides, and that's where it belongs. I think we go have to even go further back than just the past four presidents. I think we need to go back to Clinton, uh, Reagan, Bushes. We need to look back at them because that's where the offshoring or the sending of our jobs overseas really started. The opening of the floodgates of sending all of our manufacturing to China, India, the, the Asian countries, we lost all of our leverage. And I think it started before Bush. I think it was even during Reagan and Clinton. We did not do a, a solid job of creating anything. We did a really good job of making sure that Americans leveraged their dollar and consumed whatever they wanted. But we don't, we don't have any kind of power to, and your the Bolt example is a perfect example, we don't have any power to fight back against any tariffs or any raising of prices. Just like when you subsidize schools, they're just going to raise the price because they know they can get, get the money back regardless of the kid faults on the loan. China's just going to raise the price because they know that even with the tariffs, you're going to pay for it because you're the only they're the only ones that make it. How do we get our manufacturing back? How do we get that if some of the people here don't want to work or if the wage, the prices here are so high? Are we going to bring in more migrant workers? Are we going to just basically make an artificial ceiling for prices? How do we get manufacturing back home? Because that seems to be the main issue for for jobs, for the trillion uh, balancing the budget, for knocking off our competitors in other countries. How do we get them home? Well, it's a tightrope. You have to have more labor if you're going to create more jobs because we don't have enough people to fill the jobs today. So that's pretty apparent. You can't just create a bunch of jobs. You can't say, okay, here's a tax incentive for businesses to open up manufacturing. They got nobody to put in those places. Mm -hmm. So it's a tightrope. You're right. When you talk about Clinton, let's talk about him just a little bit. NAFTA to me was a horrible deal for the United States in my mind, but you got to look at Clinton. He balanced the budget four times in a row and paid down the, de the debt four times in a row. Reagan didn't do that. The last time that's really been done was Eisenhower right after World War II. You know, and Eisenhower warned us just like Washington has warned us. In Washington's farewell address, Washington said to cherish public debt. We have not done that. And he said, if we create debt, we need to pay it off and don't pass it on to our children or grandchildren. We haven't done that. And he said, if we create debt, we're going to have to charge taxes to pay the debt. And there's no tax that's going to be you know, where anybody wants that at all. So that was number one president. Let's go all the way to 1961 when Eisenhower, three days before Kennedy took over, he told us two things to warn us of. 
And he bragged about being able to work with Congress in a bipartisan way that in his mind, he had a good presidency and worked with both sides. But he said, beware of the military industrial complex because it was, it was poised for corruption and, and, and it still is today. And that's why Rumsfeld gave his speech and said we were 2.3 trillion behind in the Pentagon. They gave that speech the night before 9-11. He was going to close down bases, streamline the Pentagon, but a plane hit the Pentagon the next day, and that, that got abandoned. So the second thing that Eisenhower talked about was about, let's see, let me, I lost my train of thought there. I, okay, the, the industrial complex, you know, we, could, we had to have that. And then, then the other thing was, was obviously our debt. You could not pass your debt on. So be, to be aware of your debt. We haven't done that. Washington said it. Eisenhower said it. Rumsfeld said it. Those are all. And, and what's, the, what's the common denominator with those three gentlemen? All in the military. General George Washington. General Dwight Eisenhower. And Rumsfeld was Secretary of the Defense. Now, all three of them knew we was going to get ourselves in trouble financially because of, of that big monster that we had to have. Mm -hmm. We have to have it. We have to stay number one. We have got to have the most, I, I guess, the most powerful military in the world just to deter other people from not wanting to lose their own, to be destructive. They don't, they're not, they, that's the reason they don't pick a fight with America. With our with our missiles mm. and our nuclear warheads and everything is because they risk their own uh, going going you know their, their own extinction. So they're not going to do it. So you have to have that. So if you only way to have that is to be strong in your financial side. So we you know we have we have lost it in both both places. You your question was how do we get our manufacturing back? We have got to give. Of the, the the companies that are here today that do manufacture, and we'll just say in in wood in some sort of wood work, let them do other things that we're bringing in from China. Something that we don't have to build massive plants. We can work thousands of people in small businesses. So you know the the small business works over half the the employees that that we have today, and mm -hmm. so you don't have to build plants like Ford Motor Company or something like that, and and you ease into it. But you give them some tax incentive. Not don't give them, don't subsidize them. That's the difference. They only get an incentive. They only get an incentive if they produce. If they if their manufacturing is they manufacture five million dollars worth of stuff a year, and now they're manufacturing eight. Get, there's their okay. They've done what they said they would do. That now they don't have eighteen employees. They got thirty five. If they've met that criteria, that's the people you help. Back in the eighties, there was a, there was a, a program called industrial industrial revenue bond lending. And what that was for is if you created jobs in manufacturing, you could get a loan from the bank, not that the government guaranteed it wasn't an SBA loan, but if you went to the bank to draw, to borrow $2 million and you were going to create jobs in manufacturing, the government, yeah, you filled out paperwork. If you met all the criteria, the bank could loan you that money because you were doing it on your own, but the bank, that was a tax-free loan to the bank. So the government didn't get to tax the profit of that loan. But what happened, I had 11 employees. I borrowed $2 million. I went from 11 to 25. So the government got the taxes on 14 more mm -hmm. people, and we were manufacturing over double what we were before. 
I paid my own loan back. It's not a loan guarantee by the government. That, 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 I don't even know if that's still on the books, but it's, it's, it's a way that you get people to do things and, and, and it's not propping them up. You have to qualify for that loan yourself. So I want the companies to stand on their own two feet. But if they do create these jobs and they do put more money in the economy, they're rewarded by getting some tax credit, not money just give to them. Do you think, this may be a loaded question, do you think trickle-down economics works? Because that, to me, is what this sounds like, where more people are, are, are being taxed on their income, more people are spending their money because they have money to spend more, and they're taxed on that. We're making more things because we have manufacturing here, and every, all that's being taxed. Does trickle-down economics actually work, or, like I said, is it too loaded? Well, if that's what you call it, I just call it working and producing. If you're producing jobs and those people are taking a paycheck and, and buying their clothes or buying a, a, a vehicle or paying for their kids' school clothes and that money is going in your economy, then, yeah, that, that's working. You have to have jobs to make this thing work. We have already, you know, the, the government has grown way too big. We promised way too much. We subsidize way too many, and we're going to have to fix this before it's too late. So we already got a lot of programs out there that we're giving money away. We need more people paying in because you, know, it, you, can't, it, you can't wean these people off that's on what they're already getting. You know, these people that's, that's been subsidized for the biggest part, those people, it's going to be hard to ever get them off. We got to replace them with people that's hungry and want to go to work, and that's what they got on their mind. You know, if you have jobs, you help the economy. There's no two way about it. When, whenever you have unemployment, or well, let's look, look, let's look. You mentioned COVID a while ago. When COVID, when everything was locked down, look what happened right then. There's no money going in the economy. You know, the, the I mean, it, it was. It, look what it, I don't know that we'll ever recover in 50 years. Mm -hmm. The what we've done with with COVID, especially with children in school. I mean, we've got all kinds of problems. But your number one problem in this country today is your debt. And your number one problem for most house, households better be can you feed and take care of your family? Can you pay your bills? Then you can worry about all these other things about who's going to be what and who wants to be this. That's later. But you better be able to pay your bills, and we better be able to pay our bills and stay number one to keep this military where it needs to be. You said – um and I, and I read online some of your, you know, some of your uh, phrases or mottos where we're not off the rails yet. The train hasn't jumped off the rails yet. But when do you think that is? What do you think is that tipping point where eh, there's no more? Like we we're completely going to lose out on this. There's no real turning back from this the tipping point. You know, we've already boiled over. Well, okay, that's a good question. One, if we continue. To now, we think this the deficit this year is going to be over two trillion dollars. It was going to be one point five. The White House has now moved that past two trillion. That's never happened unless you were in like COVID. Mm. Okay, so if we if we pick up that kind of steam and go two trillion dollars a year in the hole, we're going to get to the point to where we can't borrow money. You know, if you're a business and you work and and you have loans at the bank. And you don't never make a profit. You don't make any reduction on your loan. You're not. I mean, we're having to borrow money to pay the interest. Pretty soon, you're not a good risk. They're not going to loan you money. Mm -hmm. 
And then you got countries like China right now who right now they're pulling back on our bonds because they're having some financial problems there also. So if we get to where we can't borrow money, then we're going off the track. There's no two ways about it. And we're shoving ourselves further and further to that every day. That's what, that's what I worry about. You know, people think, well, we can print money. You know, when, when Clinton balanced the budget and paid it down four years in a row with Newt Gingrich and the America contract, Alan Greenspan thought we were going to pay our debt off and he was concerned about it. And he testified to Congress about it right after he testified, David Walker testified and they asked him, did they agree with his friend, Alan Greenspan? He said, I agree with him on a lot of things, but not on that. I don't think we'll ever pay our debt off. And he was right. And that was 2001, 2011, we owe $11 trillion and we get our credit rating dropped. Like we just had it again, just the other day. So they bring Alan Greenspan on Sunday morning, ask him again, is our bonds a safe place? Or are we going to default on our debt? And he said, absolutely not. They said, why not? He said, because we can always print all the money we want to print. We'll never default on our debt. So now that it's 32 trillion, I asked my friend, Mr. Walker, I said, what does Alan Greenspan think now? Can we continue to print money? And he said, absolutely not. Now that man served under four presidents, one of the smartest men we ever had looking after our, our finances. And both of those guys are that smart. When you look at Dave Walker, he was under four different presidents, Alan Greenspan, four different presidents. These people are sharp and they're, they know we have a problem. You know, people think we're just crying wolf, but I can tell you something. If you can't pay your bills, it's going to come home to roost. It's already, you already know it when you have to borrow. We don't, we can't even borrow enough money from, from all America to pay our bills. And you think about how big we are, how powerful we are, but we've already exceeded that where we have to go outside the United States to borrow money. And that's a dangerous situation. You ever heard the, the phrase where it's like, if you took every penny, every dime, every nickel from Americans, it run the American government for eight days or something along those lines where it's at a point where you could shut down the entire U S economy. And regardless of, regardless of any, you know, idiosyncrasies you want, we couldn't fund our own government. Forget about paying anything, doing anything on our own time. That's how out from what I see, that's how out of touch our government is with spending. They raise the debt ceiling, they spend out of control. But the only hope I have is moving to a more national based way of thinking, which is where we bring our manufacturing home, we bring our our military home. Because one of the big reasons, and you touched a lot on this already, one of the big reasons why we have so much debt and spend so much is because of our military. I love the military. I would love, I love that Trump went and built the military up from its, from its ashes under Obama. That being said, bring them home, make Absolutely. the borders wrong. There's no point in us policing other countries. For example, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, all those areas. We went out there, did 20, 30 years, left a vacuum. And they went right back to doing what they wanted to do. They, were, they did not want the Western ideals. They did not want the Western civilization. They didn't want what we wanted. So we spent all that money, all those lives, all that time, all that equipment that got left. 
all of that, all the resources, brought them home and had nothing to show for it. So what I see is a nationalist idea coming forward and taking the financial burden or the financial weight onto its shoulders. Because if you become more national or nationalist, I should say, everyone's home, you're spending on the military drops, your borders drop, so you control, you fix the, the immigration issue. Manufacturing in and of itself, if all these people are no longer out of the country doing work in the military, they're home. So now you have people who will hit these manufacturing jobs. We have so many Americans out of the country on military patrols, military bases around the world trying to keep some type of democracy or peace or whatever that means. If you bring them home, there's more people to do what you need to do. There's less people, less expenses to worry about across, uh, across the ocean. So what is your take on nationalism or nationalist policies? Because a lot of people will go after you and say, well, you only want to pull away because you're racist or you don't care about these other countries or you're, uh, you know, you just think America should be this white, you know, uh, utopia. Like, why do you like things nationalist? And they always hurt you for it. But the problem with America is we get called to be the police. And then when we go and police, we're tyrants and dictators. So I sit on the side of nationalism. I would love to hear what you have to say for financial or even political reasons, if that's the right way to go. Well, the military to have people overseas costs you between 10 and $40,000 more per person than it would be if they were in this country. So that's number one. You know, we have 750 bases around the world. How ridiculous. I mean, that, that is, you know, that that's completely off the chart. More Some than the amount of countries. Yeah, some of those bases are World War II bases. So they're completely outdated with a lot of pollution, a lot, you know, in, in those areas. So, and we create some problems in there. Those people, most of those countries don't want us there. So we create an environment that's bad anyway. You know, and today, when you look at where, where the world is today in military capability, you don't have to have 750 bases. All right, let's look at, at China. I guess we look at China as our number one threat. They got four bases besides in China. So how can that be our number one threat? And we got to have 750 bases. Uh, Russia, no, we got more than anybody. We have more bases than, than we have em U.S. embassies around the world. That's ridiculous. You know, we, we certainly don't need to be in all those countries. Now, the other, th look at the other thing. Whenever we're, we're manufacturing this country, a lot of military equipment, yep. whether it's tanks, uh, vehicles, whatever. And that's in a lot of congressmen and senators districts, those manufacturing, they don't see that go away. But if you had just your, your U S military bases and a few foreign bases, we got way more than enough equipment to do that. Okay. So that, but so you have to manufacture just to send it all these other bases around the world. Well, that's creating jobs in the wrong way. You know, you, you think a, a, a district that's got a plant that's, that's doing, 12, $15 billion in military equipment. It's got 240 employees. You could pay them to sit at the house and make a, and save a whole lot of money for America. We got to see what, you know, that, you know, here in Texas, we say, don't let the tail wag the dog. That and that's what we're doing. That's exactly what we're doing. I agree. We need to get out of a lot of these countries. Rumsfeld was fixing to do that. If you go back and play his speech before nine 11, 
he was he was on that. That was one of the things he was going to do. He was going to clean up the Pentagon and streamline it to where it it would it was going to work more. And you say we've kind of cut back on the military. We're not. We haven't cut back on the military. They're, they got eight hundred ninety billion. This oh no! Year. After Trump, they're asking for a trillion next after year. After Trump, he brought it back. But during Obama, they cut back a lot on on the on the military. And that's why you see a lot of Trump spending because it pushed heavily to the defense budget. That being said, that defense budget, as as it got built back up, kind of like you said, it's wagging the tail for the dog. We're building that defense budget up because we have all these expenditures worldwide versus bringing a lot of that home and exiting a lot of the expenditures versus Obama's strategy, which was just cutting them and still leaving them out there. So it didn't remove all these bases. He didn't drop the amount of necessity or the supply needs and demand was still there, but the supply dropped. So all Trump did was raise money back up to supply these bases. But like you said, if you just get rid of what well, you said, 760 bases or 740 bases, that's more than the amount of countries that are on, on, on the planet. That means there's for every base or every country, there's 5.6 or six bases per country. It's absurd. Yeah, it is. You know, in some countries we have a hundred bases. I mean, you know, that in Europe, I mean, it's really unbelievable, but you know, think about, let's get back to Trump on the military. You know, some of the increase in the military for the Pentagon, then money came out of there to build the border wall. Yep. You know, we were told that Mexico was going to build the border wall. Mexico did not pay for the border wall. Your tax dollars paid for the border wall via the, the Pentagon. It came through the Pentagon's budget. Okay. So some of that money got siphoned off for that. Uh, you know, we want to keep that in perspective here. We've got a focus group at some town hall meetings coming up. That's going to have several short speeches. We're partnering with some real prominent, well, uh, we got a, a, a real prominent Republican. We got a real prominent uh, Democrat. We have a retired uh, admiral. We have Dave Walker and myself, and we're gonna we're gonna have a, a town hall. We're gonna have a focus group in the town hall. We're gonna do this in in uh, some of the uh, the swing states. That's gonna happen right after the first of the year. You can go to JoeFromTexas.com a little bit later and get that information. And we're gonna we're gonna put this out. For America to just and ask us questions. Ask those people questions. Ask an admiral that says one of our number one problems is our debt and our military too big. You know, the, I mean, the, Rumsfeld was talking about that same thing. And then, ironically, look what happened the next day. You know, Clinton was going to going to take care of Social Security. There's going to be Social Security reform in his last four years, and had it all worked out, and had met in a lot of meetings with Dave Walker and some other prominent people in, you know, in, in the, the White House and its administration. And they were ready to get to put that to rest where we wouldn't have the problem that we're staring down in the next eight or nine years. So he had a problem. There was a, there was a problem with a lady and he had, then he had to spend his political capital just staying in the White House. It's ironic that these things happen right when we're on the verge to do something to help this country out. You call it coincidence if you want to. I don't know what it is. But I can tell you, the problem can be solved in Social Security. The problem can be trimmed back in our military on these foreign bases. You bring up a real good point, Hunter. Those people would be better served back here. And yeah, we don't need them on all these bases here. More, some of them could go more in the reserve, but they could work in the the private sector. There's a there's millions of people there that we could that we could bring back and put to work in this country. 
You got families over there too, your husbands, wives, by vice versa, and children. Those people need to come back to this country. I'm not saying we close all of our other military bases, but we need to streamline, streamline it just like Rumsfeld was going to do. He had a plan. It'd be awesome to see what his plan was. That would be neat. I think um, uh, unintended consequence also of, of a devaluation of the dollar, and I don't know how much this plays into it, but it might be something to think about. Um, with all of our money, or all of these Americans being in other countries, they're getting paid still in dollars. Their bank accounts at home are still getting paid in dollars. They then spend that money when they can outside of the country. If they don't have family back home, they spend that money outside of the country. We're talking about remittances from people sending money into Mexico. Um, one of the big things I focus on is immigration. And what I see is on some parts, people will go on the low end 3%. On some more bullish people, they go on the 10%. I think that's a little high. But let's go with the low number. 3% of Mexico's GDP is just remittances, just money from the United States getting pushed back into Mexico to fund them. So what I see is dollars going everywhere instead of dollars staying in, dollars staying within the borders, dollars that are being money multiplied within the country. I see those dollars being money multiplied everywhere else but here, devaluing the dollar. What say you to obviously bringing manufacturing home, but what say you to that issue of the amount of supply of dollars outside of the country? Because I think that's our main global issue when it comes to the dollar. We can do whatever we want internally, but we keep pushing it out, like sending 200 billion to Ukraine. Well, sending the money to Ukraine, that, I mean, that's, that's another issue. But let me talk about your, your immigration side first. Let me try to answer your questions the way you gave it. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of Hispanic labor here, and most of them do send money back to Mexico. But let's just say all of the Hispanic people in this country today send back a half a trillion dollars to Mexico. That's not that much. We just say it is. But they spend two and a half trillion in this country. Now, would you rather swap that out? Would you not rather have that here? Now, let me ask you this. How much concrete would get poured? How much blacktop would get done? How many houses would get framed? How much garbage would get picked up? How much lawns would get cut if we could extract all the Hispanic labor out of this country tomorrow? This country would be on its knees. You know, if you think about Ellis Island, 1890s to 1954, 20 million people came to this country to pursue the American dream. And right now, if you look at all the 340 million people in this country today, about 48% have some ties back to Ellis Island. There's nothing wrong with bringing good, competent people here. They're not drug addicts and they're not convicts mm -hmm. to work in this country properly. I would rather have those people here than to buy $4 trillion worth because those jobs are overseas, all of it. If you pay somebody here $1,000 and they send $100 back, I'm not going to worry about that. It's a whole lot better than paying somebody $1,000 overseas in China or Taiwan. We don't get nothing. So, you know, it's a balancing act. I'd rather have good, honest people working in this country, spending their money here or a portion of their money here and helping this economy than to just unload things at Los Angeles at the port in a container and bring it in here already completed. There's where you're losing it. Having a few people in this country working and sending money back to their homeland, 
That's not your big drain. Well, I, your big drain is that trillion dollars. Well, I think it's a downplay to say a few people. I think that what we were overlooking also is the fact that we're not talking about a couple million. We're talking about over 12, 15 million people. And I, mom's from Chile, family's from South America. I know what good immigration is. I've seen legal immigration. I've seen what good people can do. I talk to them every day. I worked in a company where I helped build a, a international logistics department. I worked with Mexicans every day. But what I see is not the people that come here to play by our rules. People that come here to send their money home, they do enough to survive here, but they send their money back out of the country. Now, you may say they spend two-thirds of their money here. That's still two-thirds of the money of people that aren't supposed to even be here. So I don't, I don't agree with the idea that it's just a few. I'm, I think we're talking about a massive amount of people where we're still missing out on money. And I agree with you entirely. Two things can be true at once. I totally believe with the idea where that $1,000 being made in China is better than or is worse than having the guy who sends $100 back to his country. But we're not talking about just $100. We're not talking about one guy. We're talking about 12, 15 million plus that we, we don't even know where some of these people are. So I also find the idea where we talk about who would pour the asshole, who would, as the uh, Democrat talk show host, I think on The View said, who would clean Donald Trump's toilets, right? Who would do all the, the laborious jobs? Americans used to do those jobs. Americans used to be able to go and do that kind of stuff. Americans don't go do that stuff because we have an artificial drop or weight on the country because we bring in illegally and legally more people than anybody else on the planet. And that creates a suction on the wages. That wage stays super low because these people come in and they're capable of working for that much less. Americans won't work for that, right? So you have to control the immigration to also help control wages because Americans will do those jobs if they have to do the jobs. If society won't just crumble, Americans used to do it before anyways. Well, that, it's good that we come to a point in this in this visit that we disagree. Okay, mm -hmm. and that's fine. You know, it's okay to disagree. That's good. That's good for the soul. But let me tell you <laughs> that 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 people, you talk. We got a hundred in this country. It's been for many years. The age of sixteen to sixty-four is the ideal working age in this country. Mm -hmm. We have two hundred seventy million of those people in this country today. You got one hundred fifty-seven million people working today. Why don't that other hundred million people? Why don't that other hundred million people take that ten million jobs? Why don't they take it? Okay, there's several reasons. One, some of them just are not healthy enough to work, even though they're in the right age group. Right. Some of them are taking care of elderly people or something else. Some of these people are. They they maybe they're getting enough entitlements that they don't have to work. I don't know what the case is. But I can tell you, if you could, if you took those people out of this country today, that then the, the economy would suffer more than more than it's ever suffered. Now let's talk about the the thousand dollars and they send back a hundred. You say, well, they're going to send back more than that. But those people are enabling manufacturers in this country to manufacture something. So if we took those workforce away, irregardless of what they're sending to Mexico in wages, then that company that's making something in this country wouldn't be able to do it you'd have a trickle down effect there too. So again, it's a balancing act 
if we don't have the workforce, then then and and we're I'm talking about letting people come in here properly. I'm not the people I have working for me. They all they're all legal. They all have papers to be here. They're not. I don't have any illegal people working for me today that I know of. You know, I think that and they got their families and so forth. Some of them are here. Some of them are back home. Okay, those people are helping make this economy go. They want to work. They are working. And you talked about 12 or 15 million people. Okay, what if those people was just to sit down today or leave? You think these other 10 million people we got are going to take those jobs at the price they're working or even double? They're not. Well, those jobs are out. We got, look, there's right now there's 88,000 manufacturing jobs in this country that pay 90,000 plus insurance and a 401k. We can't fill them. Why don't some of them people take those jobs? Those are not low paying jobs. Why don't they take those jobs? You know, we deal in the workforce every day. We are a manufacturer. We're not just talking about somebody sent some numbers in here and I read them off. I've been doing this 50 years. So I know that that having good people here from other countries is not a bad it's thing. Not, it's, not about it's having the wrong people here. The wrong people here. Mexico doesn't like the 160 countries worth of people coming through their country right now. They despise that. But the cartels making that happen because our administration day is enabling that to happen. You know, you got the fentanyl coming from China. You got all kinds of problems, you know, right now. But it's not the Mexican people, not the good, hardworking Mexican people. And I'll ask you this. Is there any true Americans in this country that are creating any problems? that are shooting anybody, that's robbing any stores, that's, that's making any crime out there today? Absolutely. It's not isolated to foreign people. It's, you know, we, that we're a melting pot of a lot of nationalities, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we, we have got to have some good people come into this country and work, and I would rather have them work here, take a portion of their money and leave it, and help a manufacturer here than to buy everything from China or Vietnam or Taiwan. I mean, you got to weigh it up. Which which is better? What is the lesser of the two evils? And I say manufacturing in your own country because you said earlier on we need to get our manufacturing up. Who's going to do the work? Who's going to do the work? Well, we have well we have the 150 million people that you were talking about. I, the the what I'm saying is well, we have 100 million. 100 million people that, that are capable of working, and why aren't they working? Something's causing these people not to work, and I the low wage thing that everyone keeps hitting everyone on where we need to raise wages raising wages all it does is create inflation because then everybody else makes more money companies realize you have more money something becomes worth more to more people because they have more money your money now becomes less than it actually was a gallon of milk that was three dollars is now five dollars because you have the money to pay for it i'm saying legal immigration is exactly what we need Good people are exactly what we need. I got on the Bay News 9 a couple of months ago where I went out and said, we need diversity. We need good people that want to come here. You're right. They make the people, they make this country go. But there's a reason why money is pouring out of this country and it's not staying in the country outside of just manufacturing. There's other facets. I think two things can be true at once. I don't believe that the amount of money that is coming out of our country and going into Latin America, going other places in the world is a small amount that we can't recoup some of that off of. I still believe that we need to bring our manufacturing home, but I don't think sweeping it over and just saying that people spending a portion of their money here and sending a portion of their money back home is 
is a small amount. I don't think it's something to be to, to look past. And I don't think it's just the, the, the legal immigration is fine. The people who are here to work, that's fine. But it's a larger problem than that now. Now you could say, who would take those jobs? I would argue there would be Americans that would have to be forced to take those jobs. Before we talked about the, the the railroad crisis or the what was it, the Chinese or Japanese railroad crisis in Asia, uh, in California on the West Coast, Americans were all on the East Coast still doing work. They were doing all the manufacturing jobs. They were built, helping build the railroads. They were over there in the coal mines. Americans are willing to do dirty work. I don't know how many are willing to do now, but out of the hundred million, there's got to be some a percentage point of that that are willing to fulfill these jobs. How much of those jobs? I think that's a, a different question. But there's jobs that Americans are willing to take, but I don't think they're willing to take them for the price point that some of the immigrant immigrants will come in here and work it for. Now you can say that's the free market, but I still say Americans here need a, need work. They need jobs. They keep all of their money here. And we talked about earlier how we could, if we made a trillion more in the country, it would only help ben benefit us and balance our budget. So I think Americans need to worry about we need to worry about american jobs over anybody else's first now that means bringing home manufacturing that means bringing home military but i also think that means taking care of the immigration because that's out of control and that affects our wages as well well immigration's out of control because of the administration we have today you know immigration was doing we were doing a whole lot better under trump there's no two ways about that you know what we got us we, we got an administration that when it comes in no matter what's good for the country, what policies are good, you got to do away with them because they're not your policies. And that works both sides. I mean, we were a net exporter in oil, and that was a good thing. Well, he stops that very first day. You know, we was we had a handle on the border. Mm -hmm. We were, were getting, you know, we're watching what we're doing there. Well, he stops that right there. So we got the situation where you, you got two parties that no matter what is good for the country, they're against each other. So that's the problem. We've got to get this bickering out before we settle our differences because we never will. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a verse in the Bible about two women that was arguing over whose baby it was, you know, and they couldn't, they couldn't, you know, couldn't solve the problem. So they went to this king and he's listening to the two women. The two women said, well, it's my baby. I'm going to say it's mine. He tells one of the guards, bring me a sword. Let's cut the baby in half and give each of them half. The mother says, no, let her have the baby. Mm -hmm. The other lady says, no, let's both do without, let's, let's just split the baby in half. No, neither one of us get anything. That's what your administration's doing. They're willing to cut this country in half just so they stop what the other administration did. And that's a sad situation. And we got people lining up that still think that that man has got 30 or 35% approval rating. I mean, what are we watching? I mean, I, I don't understand it, and I'm not just being just from a, a Republican standpoint or whatever. I voted Republican. I voted Democrat. Difference all my life. I don't consider I consider myself more as an independent than either other side. I look at the issues, and I look at who's going to help me in this country mm -hmm. with the issues, and that's what we need to look at. But if you do the math, Hunter, and you look at a manufacturer that if he could not manufacture his goods – because he couldn't get Americans to do the work and be competitive because of what, and then let the next, then we're going to lose that manufacturer too. And we'll buy more from China. We'll buy more from Taiwan. I can tell you being a manufacturer, I know that it's a whole lot better producing something in this country with a little bit of the salary leaving here 
because what they eat stays here. The room that they rent stays here. The light bill they, they have stays here. The gas they're buying, the gloves, the boots, and all that stays here. And their Social Security stays here. They're, you know, I'm holding out mm -hmm. Social Security. I'm, I'm holding out their taxes. I'm holding out Medicare. And you look at Medicare and you look at Social Security, all those. If we didn't have that 10 or 12,000 people working, we'd be hurting even further. Our, our deficit would be larger this year. It wouldn't, it, it's not going to shrink our deficit. That's why I said earlier, it's a balancing act. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with more Americans going to work. I wish they would. I wish we had 10 million people that would saddle up tomorrow if the jobs are out there. That would be great. That would be, um, then we need to have immigration reform to bring more people before we create more jobs. You offer it to the people here first. If they don't take it, we don't want to send that manufacturing out of here. You mean you both talked about manufacturing leaving this country was devastating to our economy. We have to have people here willing to work. And there's no reason not to. Like I say, when you buy something at one of the big box stores and it says made in China, you helped some foreign family and they got it all. Yep. But when you buy something here and it was made by a company here and it had Hispanic labor, you got to keep a big portion of it. I'd rather keep a big portion of it than nothing. But and then I think they see, I think that goes more down to the, the actual politics and the policies. I think we're, we're, we're arguing on the same side of the coin, whereas I believe that Im immigrant labor and Hispanic labor is good. Legal immigration is good. But I would argue more on the side of the policies that we have that are making Americans stay off of working, not wanting to work, are what is detrimental. And I still think, though, at the same time, the amount of money that's leaving our country, whether it be paying for other manufacturing out of the country or even the money that's just leaving, through remittances is still a massive amount that we're still missing out on and any kind of any kind of funding we can get to try and help pay off this debt or stabilize us i think is it's something we need to reach into so i i think we need to talk more about on the actual policy issue of getting americans to work than just alone on the manufacturing because we can bring as much manufacturing in as we want but if no one wants to work because welfare is high unemployment they could just pay unemployment checks out to just about anybody. I think that's more detrimental than anything else. But if you don't control immigration at all, they'll never fix those policies because they'll always have someone who come in and do it for cheaper and Americans will never do it. They'll never do the work for cheaper. And even if they're spending that money here, there's not enough, unless you bring a whole new 10 million worth of people and immigrants into the country, they are not enough to set off the deficit of the Americans that aren't working. So you have to get those Americans working. And that goes back to something that you said earlier, incentivizing manufacturing, incentivizing Americans. I don't think incentivizing. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely, Hunter. I mean, we're saying basically the same thing. Yep. Okay, just a little different, just a little different tone on it. But yes, you have to get manufacturing up in this country, but you have to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. We have to give the, the businesses that are here the incentive to manufacture more. Okay not not fund them you know right now we're funding uh the Key green difference. new deal we're Key funding difference. windmills we're fun and all of that is being manufactured in in china so we put all, all our eggs in one basket look at the drilling we're dr drilling for oil and gas in this country okay now we don't do it i had a division of one one of our one of our divisions that did oil and gas up in north dakota it did 30 
something a year. Mm-hmm. It's doing three a year now. I mean, we're, we're, we're 10% of what we were doing. I mean, so we're down there, you know, we're, that's cut that workforce because there's nothing to do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. We're, we're giving away too much. That's what I said earlier. We've grown too big. We give away way too much. We, you know, we've grown too big and promised too much. And we subsidize too many. And we have to get a handle on it before it's too late. I said that early on, mm-hmm. and I still stand by that. You know, so you have to have an administration that locks down the border where we can control immigration, have immigration reform. That's one thing we have to do. Stops all the drugs and and takes takes the means away from the cartel. That has to happen. We have to incentivize people in this country to manufacture more. That means they want to put on more people and can at good paying jobs. Mm-hmm. That's where manif- that's where it's at. It's you, know, you can't. Some of this hundred million people I'm talking about, they don't want to go bust the tables or whatever. Okay, so that's not a good paying job. That's not a good paying job anytime, probably. Nope. All right. So they don't want to maybe do some of those other jobs. But we need to put bring the manufacturing back here that does that will that will make sure that the wages are up. A lot of the jobs that are out there today is low paying jobs, unfortunately. I think we've lost Hunter again. Oh, hold on. I'm I'm coming back. All right. I lost you. They were uh, okay. One of the bust the tables. That's where you were at. I'm sorry. You hear me? I said uh, where I lost you was uh, they were busting the tables, where people didn't want to bust the tables. Yeah. I mean, those are low paying jobs, obviously. Okay. And 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 maybe we can't get. A lot of that hundred million people doing that. Okay. But if we get some manufacturing jobs back in this country, then we can have, that's a higher paying job. We need to get the higher paying jobs back into this country. And then you can afford to pay people more. That's what there. See, there's what I said earlier. There's a balancing act. You can't just bring a lot of people in here to go to work. If you don't have the jobs, you can't create the jobs. if you don't have anybody to go to work. So it's a balancing act. But you know what we got right now is we got our head in Washington screwed on on how do we stay out of jail? How do we keep our son out of jail? How do we beat these indictments? You know that I mean that's all we talk about. I mean can, we have reduced ourselves to be the past president and the present president that we have right now that nothing is is just all nothing in the courthouse. I mean that is really sad for a country. And I think a lot of that, you know, you look at a lot of things that happen in this country, there's always diversions to keep America not thinking about the real problem. The real problem is the debt in this country. The money. That's your real problem. The money. It's looming out there real big. And that, you talk about inflation, you talk about all the other things. The debt is the problem in this country. There's no two ways about it. But we're always distracted because the next indictment or the laptop from hell or whatever the, whatever they want to bring up today. That does not feed your children. That does not pay your house note. That does not balance your checkbook. They need to be looking at that first, but no. And then we got people in Congress, people in Washington that bless their heart. They need to retire. Now you take our current president and you take a Republican high ranking official that freezes at the podium. Do you think either one of them would be allowed to do brain surgery? Absolutely not. Okay. because And that would be only lose one life. But they're in charge of 340 million people. Think of that. That's a great way to look at it. That's a great take. I like that. 
a great take. Now that's how ridiculous we are. This is uh, I'm going to close this out on this question because I think we're at a good point right here with in, within that quote in and of itself. When do you think the job is done, or we have reached a goal that Americans or at least Joe from Texas can be satisfied? Because I think a lot of people, like I said, are doom and gloom all the time, and they just don't know where. What is the goal? Where's the place where we say we've done it? Well, if I would be happy if I see a candidate that that's what the, the candidates got, our economic situation is number one. And if that candidate wins and has administration, it puts that first and foremost, because if we have enough money, we can close the border. If we have enough money, we can put a lot of armed people around the school. If we have enough money, we can put extra police force in the big cities in the bad neighborhoods. If we have enough money, we can take care of the elderly and the homeless. But if we don't have it, the rest of it's going to consume us. We have to get there. And I won't be satisfied until we have an administration that recognizes we have to pay our bills first to stay first in this nation and in this world. We want to be number one in the world. But you cannot do it when you're borrowing money from people in this country and foreign countries that don't like you. You have got to get that under control. I won't be satisfied until we get our debt back under control. Well, I love ending on being number one and being America. <laughs> I love being Americans, and I love the idea <laughs> of us always being on top. Like I love that thought process because we are the superpower. We are policemen in the world unfortunately but we are the where everyone looks up to and if we can't even manage our own bills can't even manage our own backyard we shouldn't be talking about any other country we shouldn't be worried about other places we need to be worried about us and i think you're right no there's only a few or maybe one or two republican or democrat on any of the tickets that are worried at all about finances and i truly think that what you're doing bringing the debt, bringing finances, bringing all of our spending up to the forefront is something that not a lot of people are doing. So I, for, in my opinion, thank you for what you're doing, Joe. Uh, we need more people like you going out and spreading the message of, of financial stewardship. Um, do you have any events that are coming up that you'd like to let any of the viewers know about? Do you have any, any kind of cool things that are coming about, anything coming down the pipeline that we should know? Well, we have this focus group at the at these town halls that's going to be in, in the swing states. That's going to be right after the first of the year. And you can go to joefromtexas.com when we nail down those dates and, and get in line to be participants in that. And that'll be good because that, it's talking about what we've talked about today and how we solve some of the financial problems that we have today. These are brilliant people that's going to be there. And it's number one on their agenda to help this country. They're all good patriots. They've all served this country already, and they're serving the country, some of them currently today. Beautiful, man. Well, everybody, keep your eyes open. Go to joefromtexas.com. Uh, he's got some good stuff coming out. Definitely want to keep in touch with you and see uh, if there's any other new you know, insider things or any kind of new tips and tri uh, tricks of the trade that you have. Joe, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate your time tonight. Uh, this has been the Red Print Podcast, again, brought to you by the County Young Republicans, and uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, Joe. Thank you, Hunter. Man. I appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate you so much.